please turn also to the book of Ecclesiastes. The text for this morning is Ecclesiastes chapter 10. That's verses 1 through 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. This also is the reading of God's holy word. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our almighty God, we come before you and we acknowledge that you alone are perfect, that you have given us in your word all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Father, we pray this day that we would not be fools, that we would esteem your word highly, that we would tremble at your word, that our hearts would be humble, that we might receive it. Father, we acknowledge that your wisdom is far higher than our wisdom, that when we must compare your word to our own thoughts, help us to conclude that we are fools and that you are wise. Help us to conclude that and that alone. Father, that if something must change, it is not you, it is us. Father, we pray that we would be humble before you and teachable, that we would judge your word as holy because you are holy, that your word is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that we would have no shame admitting that as sinners we are fools. And Father, we pray that you would turn our hearts to Jesus Christ, who indeed is your wisdom and your righteousness. And Father, we pray that if any are here who do not know you, we pray, Father, that you would turn uh, hearts of men, women, and children away from foolishness, which is sin, and that you would turn hearts to righteousness in Jesus Christ, that we might freely embrace the promises of the gospel. For you have promised that you reckon sinners righteous by faith apart from works. Father, we pray that you would teach us to trust in you, for indeed you are good, that you have given us that which is good in your Son. Help us, Father, to see that with our eyes. Father, we pray that our Lord Jesus would be exalted, and that your servant will be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. As we get to the ending, close to the ending of Ecclesiastes, it seems as if the author, Kohelet, is kind of giving a review and a summary. So he talks about wisdom, he talks about foolishness here. And even as we think about the effect of foolishness, just a little foolishness, in, in little things in life, when you think about a dog, or, or you, know, you think about a, a wild animal, let's just say a, a dog or a wolf, and uh, let's say this dog, you, you put them, and, and let's say you've trained this dog from its, from its youth, and you know that this is a gentle dog, okay? But if you put this dog into a cage with a lamb and expect the dog to, to behave uprightly, 
And the next morning, what would you expect to find in the cage? You won't expect to find a dog and a lamb. You will expect to find just a dog. And it's not because the lamb was smart enough to pick the lock and get out. It's because the nature of a dog, which is essentially a wolf, is that he will eat the lamb. Mm. You understand? You, you, you have this high expectation. Well, dog, I have trained you all this, and I've told you to take care of people and, and uh, follow your owner's instructions, and I told you not to eat the lamb. Yet you ate the lamb. Is anyone surprised? You shouldn't be. It's like trying to tame a wild animal, someone who had a, a pet gorilla, and uh, he tries to have a birthday party with the pet gorilla gets his face bashed in. What would you expect? This is a wild animal. And you think about the nature of, of uh, an animal being wild. It's foolishness to think that uh, for some of these animals, if, uh, if you raise them from, from infancy, that, that they would necessarily be tame. And then we think about the hearts of men. That what's really at what's really the issue with sinners? Is it the case that sinners can just decide, you know what? Tomorrow, I'm I'm just going to stop sinning. I'm not going to do it anymore. The answer is, we can't, because it's our nature, a fallen nature, a nature descended from Adam. And the question of is man essentially good or is man essentially bad? Well, the world will always say the man is essentially good. And, and well, we, we have to come up with all these fudge answers for how evil comes out of men. Well, it's, it's their environment. Well, how did the environment happen? How, how do you explain this? Uh, what about the little infants and children, right? Who, who taught them to hit each other? Who taught them uh, to, to grab and fight and poke each other's eyes out? No one taught them that. It's all in their nature. It's coming out. And so also, when you think about... God's dealings with man that it's only by changing our nature can we value the things that come from him the things that come from God God himself wicked sinners apart from God's saving grace apart from having a new heart sinners can only say about God God is foolishness God is wicked and God ought to die that is the only, uh, that's the only thought. If you, you boil it down, that's the only thought of a sinner is God must die. And, and that, that exact thing happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam said, I will eat the fruit that you've commanded me not to eat of. Because I will rule in your place. That is the heart of sin, is a dethroning of God and an exalting of self. Even as we look at this passage in Ecclesiastes, we see that chapter 9 was about wisdom. And here he's impressed at the end of chapter 9 about this uh, poor wise man who saved the city. That it had an impression upon him. And yet he wasn't remembered. He wasn't honored. And you think about how wisdom works. And in contrast to that wisdom, he, he goes again to talk about foolishness. And the nature of foolishness. And it's in this passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, where it starts to sound a lot like the Proverbs. And this is where he starts to wrap up the closing of the book. So the truth that we see in this passage, in these three verses, is that foolishness is not lack of intelligence, 
but a defiant rejection of God that results in temporal and eternal ruin. Foolishness is not lack of intelligence, but a defiant rejection of God that results in temporal and eternal ruin. We'll look at this in three points. The first, the pervasive effect of foolishness in verse 1. Second, the root cause of foolishness in verse 2. And third, the blatant nature of foolishness in verse 3. So the first point, the pervasive effect of foolishness in verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So here... Kohelet's coming to a, a close. And here he's, he's kind of reviewing the, the wisdom and the foolishness. And here he's flipping back to foolishness. And he uses this illustration, dead flies and, perf- and perfume. So uh, I hope none of you think less about me when I say this. But uh, in our culture, in our culture, people tend to shower every day. But if you go to other cultures, just look at, for example, in Europe, that um, they don't shower every day. And some people would consider that unclean, and some people would consider that normal. And if they don't shower every day, then they'll probably use some type of perfume to cover up their natural body odor. Okay, so then we look at what perfume does. So people pay expensive money, a whole lot of money, for for fine-smelling perfume. And this is to cover up the natural body odor or smells around the house. You have various kinds of perfumes and scents. But here, Kohelet is saying that dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. Meaning that if the man who's making the perfume has this jar that's open and flies get in there and get stuck there and they die, then he, he caps the thing and puts it away. Well, the good smell of the perfume will be gone because the dead flies will ruin the entire jar of perfume. So the pleasant smell that the perfume once brought, it's actually going to have a putrid smell because of the dead flies. And he uses this analogy to describe the effect of folly and foolishness. Mm -hmm. So he says here, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So if someone says, hey, I I have some natural body odor, so I'm going to use this perfume or this cologne. It's going to cover it up. Well, here, what he's warning about is this perfume has gone from a positive good to a negative bad. So your body odor is going to be better smelling than that perfume because that perfume will smell like death because of the dead flies. It's It's going to smell horrid. You're better off not having it. And so also, so also you look at this matter of foolishness. A little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The scriptures, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 24, this very effect of dead flies ruining perfume, folly ruining Wisdom and honor, we find in this verse. 
But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered. For the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed, for them he shall die. Do you understand that? So here, think about uh, an employee in a company. He's assigned various roles. And let's say he, he's diligent in his work. In fact, he's quite capable. He's quite gifted, quite productive in his work. That uh, they, they measure his productivity. And they say, hey, the, the revenue or profit right, that this employee brings is much higher than other employees. And typically what will happen is that those employees will be commended, uh, they'll probably receive promotions, and they'll be given greater responsibility. This is a good thing. This is, this is what you should desire, that you would be uh, capable and that uh, the Lord would bless the work of your hands. But imagine if this employee said, hey, I'm doing all these great things for the company, and uh, I, I'm going to start embezzling or misappropriating. These are terms that simply mean to steal. So he steals from the company. Well, what happens to his promotion? What happens to the good reputation he had? Well, the bottom line is you can't have anyone capable or incapable, good or bad as an employee, you can't have them stealing from the company. So he gets fired. And the end result is that regardless of how good he was as an employee, he gets fired because he stole. And so also there, a little foolishness, it outweighs that which is wise and honorable. Now, think about how this foolishness, this lesson about the pervasive effect of foolishness, how it's instructive to us in our daily lives. Some people think of salvation as a matter of works, a matter of good outweighing your bad, so that when you die, you stand before God, and that there's this balanced scale. He puts your good works on one side, he puts your bad works on another, and if your good outweighs your bad, you get in. If your bad outweighs your good, then you go to hell. Look at this instruction about the pervasive effect of foolishness. The dead flies ruin the perfume. It's not about good outweighing the bad. Because God had said that all of the good he requires you to do, you must do. And none of the good can cover up any one of the bad. That you could say, hey, I'm going to do all these good things for you. No, all those good things are already required. It can't cover the sin, even one sin. So this idea of let my good works outweigh my bad works and I'll get into heaven, the answer is no, it can't be done because of the pervasive effect of sin, of foolishness. Just look at the life of King David. King David ruled as a great king, but toward the end of his life, he committed not only adultery, but committed murder. And all you have to do is look at the second half of the book of 2 Samuel, the latter half from, from chapter 11 to the end of the book. 
And all you see there is God's judgment upon him. In the temporal life is judgment. So when you look at the prophecy about how the sword will never depart from your house, that's what we see in his life. Second half. It's only by God's grace. It's only by God's grace that his sin can be forgiven by David's son, who is Jesus Christ. And yet, it affected his reign. It affected his household. It affected the nation of Israel. So here is the pervasive effect of foolishness. We have in the second point, the root cause of foolishness in verse 2. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Here, understand for a moment the significance of right and left. Remember, there were times when I was doing work overseas. I'd go to China, and I'd be in the laboratory with my notebook. And I was taking notes all the time. And these other scientists would come stare at me while I'm there taking notes. And I'd look at them. And I said, and I would say in Mandarin, hey, what, what's, uh, why, why are you staring at me? And they said, you're, you're writing with your left hand. Uh-oh. And I said, yeah, what's wrong with that? And he said, when we were little children, we were beaten with sticks in class if we ever picked up a pen with our, right, with our left hand. So they, they, were, they were wondering, wait a minute, we thought you were an educated scientist. <laughs> what, what are you doing here? And, and, and then they realized, oh, he's an American. Okay, they don't, they don't pull that kind of stuff. And here we have some understanding about how other cultures view left and right. So this simple statement, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. That here, think about right and left, no big deal. No one gets changed over. Over there they get changed over, right? So you take in that left hand to right, and then they change you over. Even in Latin and in Italian, that the word for left is something like sinistro or sinister. That's where we get evil from. That the right is synonymous with that which is good and upright, and the left is associated with that which is evil and wicked. So the wise man's heart inclines him to the right, that he desires that which is good and upright, but the fool's heart to the left, that which is evil and wicked. So here... We ought to understand that foolishness, then, is not a mere silliness. It's not a lack of education or a lack of intelligence. Foolishness is a matter of evil. It's a matter of evil. So foolishness is not so much of a head issue as it is a heart issue. Look there, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. It's the heart's desire. It's what the heart desires. And what the heart desires, well, the brain starts to, the mind starts to do all kinds of trickery on us. I mean, there's a term for this. It's called rationalization. You understand? Rationalizing when, when our hearts desire something, specifically that sin, then the brain takes over and starts to rationalize these things until they actually become acceptable. This is how the nature of man works. It's not the head leading the heart. It's the heart leading the head and and changing the thoughts of the head. 
Look at what the scriptures say about foolishness. Psalm 14. We sang that in, in our hymn. Verse 1, Psalm 14, 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. What does foolishness begin with? Foolishness here begins with a denial of God's existence and glory and greatness, despite all the evidences to the contrary. We read earlier there in Romans 1 that all of God's greatness, His perfection, His glory is manifest in all of His creation. This is Psalm 19. People say, where is the evidence of God? Hey, just look outside. Look everywhere. Huh? Look, look, how the, look how the baby develops in the womb. Huh? How, how, how did all those bones get into place? Right? How did all the teeth start to form? Oh, that's Mother Nature. Oh, no, no, you're, you've just robbed God of His glory. God did that. Not Mother Nature's. This is God's doing. So fool says in his heart, there is no God. So fool, fool, foolishness is rejection of God. Denying His existence. And then also, they are corrupt. So not just a, a denial of God, there's a corruption of the heart. They do abominable deeds. So, a rejection of God, corruption of the heart, and then actions that are the manifestation of the heart. The source is the corruption of the heart. That's the fool. And the symptom is that they do abominable deeds. It's the heart being manifested outwardly. And you have Romans 1. We read that earlier, 1, verses uh, 21 and 22. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they, came, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. There's so much that's being said in these verses. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Some people would, would say that, wait a minute. I thought you said earlier that the fool says in his heart there is no God. And then here in verse Romans 1, verse 21, although they knew God. So do they know Him or do they not know Him? Well, the answer is the, the sinner is confused. right? He, he knows that there is, everyone knows there's a God, but there's a, a rejection, a denial of Him. They're going to deny, they're, they're gonna deny His existence. It's as if if you hated someone and that person walked into the room, that you wouldn't say hi, you wouldn't greet them, you wouldn't bless them, you would turn around and look the other way. You would deny their existence. That's what it is. That's what the fool does. He knows that there's a God. He just rejects Him. So fools do not honor God, we're told. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. So how often is it that sinners give thanks to God? A fool is one who does not give thanks to God. Now I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something here. He who is thankful to God must also be thankful to men. You hear that? He who is thankful to God must also be thankful to men. So if you never thank other people, because everything's taken for granted, everything's by obligation, right? Then for you to be thankful to God comes into question. So... Being thankful to God requires that we be thankful to men. So also here, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That their hearts were dark. They suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. 
They know God's truth. They know God's word. And they reject it. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Have you ever noticed this? That fools invariably think of themselves as wise. Fools invariably think of themselves as wise. They're wise in their own eyes. The the characteristic of a fool is that he will think everyone in this world is a fool but himself. So if you find yourself wondering or, or considering everyone around you as a fool and that you're the only wise one, then the joke is on you. You're actually the fool. So I think about that for my own life. When I wonder, well, why do people do things that way? Well, it's because I haven't stopped to ask or understand. There's actually good answers to some of those questions. When I think that everyone else is a fool, then I'm actually the one who's being foolish. And it's then that we need to stop. We need to repent. Fools always think of themselves as wise. And this is why when a wise person attempts to instruct a fool... The fool always spurns the wise person's wisdom because wisdom is rejected by the fool. Continuing, we read earlier, Elder Wayne read for us Titus chapter 3. Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hated, hating one another. So look at this foolishness. Not just foolishness, but with it, with foolishness comes disobedience. That we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, meaning easily going off the righteous path. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. A slave is someone who is bound, who is, who is in bondage to passions and pleasures. That a fool is one who is constantly serving his desires, feeding his pleasures. We're told that uh, they pass their days in malice and envy. They see what other people have, they envy them, and there's malice towards them. They're hated by others and they hate one another. This is a very sad existence, so to say. That foolishness is a sad existence. But consider the verses that come after that. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Think about God's grace here. Foolishness involves rebellion. Foolishness involves a defiance against God. And then you ask, well, if someone denies God's existence and shakes his angry fist at God, what do they deserve? They deserve judgment. They deserve condemnation. They deserve suffering. But is that how God deals with sinners? No, we're told in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. 
So God deals with sinners in a way that is contrary to what you and I would expect. He shows mercy to sinners. He says to us, you sinners who are foolish, you lack wisdom, I'll give it to you. You lack righteousness, I'll give it to you, I'll provide it to you through my son. You have sins, I will cover them with the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, his shed blood, his blood washes away your sin. But I have no merits of my own. Because all of my works are imperfect and sinful even. Well, Jesus Christ, who is perfect, there is a crediting. And here the scriptures constantly speak about this crediting. That by faith, he credits us with righteousness. Roman, in uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, quoted in Romans 4. That Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But I want to work for it. It can't be worked for. You can't earn it. You must receive it by faith. And this is God showing mercy to sinners. He transforms our hearts such that we can see the good that he offers us. Some more of these characteristics about foolishness and the heart of foolishness. Fools concern themselves with physical and worldly priorities rather than spiritual and eternal ones. Think about the example in Luke, it's a Luke chapter 12, about covetousness and, the, and the, the rich man who said, hey, look at this. My fields are producing uh, so plentifully and the silos that I've built are not enough, so I'm going to build more. And I'm going to say to my, my heart, uh, be joyful and merry, and you have plenty stored up for you for the future. And God says what? You fool. This very night, your life will be required of you. See here, foolishness focuses on physical and worldly material goods. At the cost of eternal and spiritual good. So we think about decisions that we make for our children. Or we're going to think about what's good for their education. We're going to think about what's good about their, their financial success. How often is it that we think, wait a minute, what's good for their, their soul? What's good for eternity? Well, I'd rather he be a doctor and go to hell than that he be a, a sanitation engineer, a garbage man, and he go to heaven. See, that's, that's an example of wrong priorities. I'd rather he, he be hated and despised in this world and be penniless in this world, but be in heaven with Jesus Christ. Well, I'd rather he be an Ivy League graduate. No, no. We need to think about the things that are valuable because in heaven, no one will care about the Ivy League degree. No one will care. Be worthless. Think about the things that are valuable. Make decisions that are good for yourself, for your family, for the generations that come after you. Think about the things that are valuable to God. Fools despise wisdom. We covered that. But especially the wisdom of the cross. Think for a moment here about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 
For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When sinners hear the gospel, they say, number one, I don't need it. And number two, only someone who is weak and stupid would accept that. Are you willing to accept that? Are you willing to be called weak and stupid by people who consider themselves wise but are actually fools? Well, in other passages, Paul speaks about how we are fools for Christ. Well, acknowledge that being in favor of God, being a follower of Jesus Christ, you will receive all kinds of mockery and derision that people will revile you. But hear that, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God that you and I might save that this good news of the gospel is the best thing I've ever heard. And whatever it will cost me in this life, I will give it up. Because this gospel is that good. Whatever it will cost you, you must count the cost. And you must say, I will slay that on the altar. And accept the good news of the gospel. That Rejection of your parents. That fathers and mothers can disown you. But you realize that God is one who never disowns those who are faithful in following him. That those whom he has identified, you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. His righteousness covers you. He will never disown you. Though parents may disown you. So here, we have the root cause of foolishness. We have in the third point, the blatant nature of foolishness in verse 3. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. There's something about foolishness, and that foolishness cannot be hidden. It's, it's always testifying of itself. And here, the scriptures in verse 3 are saying that even when you watch a fool walk on the road, he's going to demonstrate that he's a fool. And I was talking to my son, trying to get him to think through some of these illustrations, right? How do we know someone's a fool when they're walking on the road? He came up with some good ones. One is, the fool is going to walk in the middle of the road, right? So you walk in the middle of the road, sooner or later, you're going to get run over by a car, See, that's a fool. He's going to walk in the middle of the road. He's not going to walk on the left or the right. He walks in the middle. What are some of the other things in which, as you're walking by, or you're observing, you see that it's, this man's a fool? Well, what would happen if a fool were walking, whether on the side of the road or in the middle of the road, he were walking while reading a book? Is this, is this bad news? He's... He's walking, well, what happens about that pothole there? Right? He's going to sprain his ankle. Or more common today, right? Uh, more common today, he's, he's watching his phone, watching a video or writing a text while he's walking. Bam, he's going he's gonna to land into that pothole and hurt himself. And not only is that injury for himself, <coughs> think about the criminals in this world. If they're observing this person, they're going to say, hey, that guy's not paying attention. I can come from behind him 
with this giant brick and smack them on the head. It's, not, it's dangerous not to be observing your surroundings, not to be aware. They make the best victims. This is all foolishness. And it's easy for us to point the finger and say, oh, that's foolishness. But think for a moment about how foolishness infects each one of us. Affects each one of us. Proverbs 12, 16. The tendency of foolishness to manifest itself. A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent person conceals dishonor. Are you quickly and easily annoyed? And do you manifest this? Do you show your anger readily to others? A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. There's a discreetness to wisdom. But the fool blurts out his own foolishness. The fool opens his mouth, so to say. The proverb is, uh, even a fool is thought wise if he remains silent. Perhaps uh, the corollary to that is, it's better to be thought it's better to be assumed a fool and keep silent than to open your mouth and remove all doubt, so to say. So here, each time you and I open our mouths, what are you proclaiming? May it not be our own foolishness. This is an appropriate prayer for each one of us all the time. That, Father, give us wisdom even as we interact with others. That in our conversations, we would glorify Jesus Christ, our Lord. Not ourselves. We bring glory to Jesus, not ourselves. So we're going to boast in the Lord, not boast about ourselves. That our desire is to build others up and not tear them down. And that we ought to humble ourselves, not God. So when we interact with others, think about what their needs are. Do they have serious spiritual needs? Are they outside of Christ? Those are things that should dictate some of our priorities, our concerns. You have to ask yourself, what is someone who is outside of Christ? Our answer should be, that is a person who is under God's judgment. And that should be our greatest concern. Think about their needs. And so, you realize that foolishness affects every one of us because sin affects every one of us. The two are coupled. That where there's sin, there's foolishness. And, and children understand that sin is always foolish and stupid. Sin is always foolish and stupid. It's never wise. Whenever we think about ourselves only... That's foolishness, that's sin, they're always coupled together. And so long as we continue in this life and we continue to sin, we will continue to be fools. But wait a minute, it sounds like you're saying, on one hand, there's, that there's two categories of people. The wise who are righteous, and the fools who are wicked. Well, that's true. But then at the same time, you're saying that every person who sins is foolish. That is also true. And this is where you and I must come to terms with who we are. Even in Christ, as we continue to sin, there's still the sin remnant in us. And 
at our death, at our glorification, that remnant is removed. And so also we struggle with the foolishness, thinking of ourselves first, thinking lowly thoughts about God, thinking high thoughts about ourselves, thinking everyone else is wrong but ourselves. You realize that just as we look forward to that day when the sin will be removed, we also look forward to that day when this foolishness will be removed. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. That we might be patient with one another. Even as we struggle through the difficulties of our lives. That we're blinded by our own sin. That lacking wisdom we choose the left instead of the right. That we look to God who is one who leads us in the right way. That we might be wise for his glory. And that we might give him glory by Decisions that are pleasing to him, that we would desire righteousness and not foolishness. Could we go to our